facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. It is Tuesday. It's the 14th of November, 2023. So glad you're with me. And we are, yep. Oh, yeah. We're cracking open another exciting episode of The Kale Clark Show. I'm, I'm super pumped about this one. This is going to be a really, really fun show. Faith, facts, and fun. Heavy emphasis on the fun today. And you can call in, get in on the fun, 888-914-9149. If you're on the highways and byways in California, if you're on the East Coast, just getting home from work, in the car, wherever you may be, chilling out, listening on the Relevant Radio app at home. So glad to be with you on The K.O. Clark Show, 888-914-9149. You can also email the program, kale at relevantradio.com, or find me on X at Kale Clark. C-A-L-E, Clark with an E. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I, I might have been too ambitious today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do three things today that are, are just absolutely wild. I'm going to try to show you how to win any argument. Now, that now talk about overpromising. My, my goodness. Uh, maybe I should downgrade that a little bit, too. At least how not to lose any argument. That, that's maybe a little bit more, a little bit more palatable. A little bit more palatable. But also, I'm going to talk about the most misunderstood verse in the entire Bible. And we've all misunderstood it at one time or another. We're going to check that out later. Plus, plus, tis the season for colds, uh, COVID, you, you name it, everything. You're stuffed up. I'm stuffed up. I'm always stuffed up. And, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about why your nose is always congested. It always is. And by the way, you don't just have one nose. You have two noses. Did you know this? Well, I'm going to explain all later on. It's fascinating. Trust me, this is utterly fascinating. I love this. So let's get to the first topic here. Let's talk about argumentation here. How do you win any argument? Well, according to Ben Meir, you've got to think like a lawyer, just like the lawyers from maybe my favorite movie of all time, A Few Good Men. We have a clip. I can't resist. Did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. (laughs) That's it. It's all about the truth. Now, I I know Jesus said, woe to you lawyers, but I I love, and I I always joke around with my, my lawyer friends about this, but love a good legal thriller, love a few good men, such a great movie. Great acting performances, Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson. And I'll tell you what, the, the interesting thing about this is when you argue, when you get into an argument, whether in a courtroom or otherwise, now when I say I'm going to show you how to win any argument, it's not about winning per se. It's not about hashtag winning. It's not about vanquishing the other person. Or at least it shouldn't be. It should be about uncovering the truth. And hopefully we can handle the truth. And by the way, On the other program I host on Relevant Radio, The Faith Explained, we're going through St. Paul's letter to the Romans, the greatest letter of all time. Paul would have been a great lawyer. Trust me. He certainly would have been a great canon lawyer. (laughs) And and, and the subtitle of that show, Romans, it's Can You Handle the Truth? That's what we're doing right now on The Faith Explained. So I, I just can't resist it. It's an homage to a few good men as well. But let's get to the point here. How can we at least not lose any argument? Well, uh, ben Meir, who writes, and I, I mentioned him before, he writes a newsletter called Systems Sunday. It's a really good newsletter, as as you might 
uh, have uh, deduced from the title because you guys are really smart. It comes out on Sunday. It's called Systems Sunday. And he's got almost a quarter of a million subscribers to this thing. And you, you can find it just, just Google this guy, Ben Meir, Systems Sunday. Uh, M-E-E-R is how you spell his last name. And I think the reason why he calls it, I'm kind of speculating here, but the reason why I think he calls it Systems Sunday is because he, he gives sort of systems and frameworks for how to do different things. Um, and it's very much like what James Clear, the author of the runaway bestseller Atomic Habits, says when he opines that you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your systems, the systems that you have in place. I think that is 100% true. You can have the greatest goals in the world, but how are you going to get there? That's where your systems come into play. All right, so let's get into this whole thing about, about arguments. Well, and this, this really does have a, a Catholic uh, application here because we get into a lot of discussions, let's say. Maybe they become heated. Maybe they... When we talk about arguments, when we talk about arguments for the faith or for anything else that we're passionate about, most people don't know how to argue without being argumentative. The old saying that arguments usually generate more heat than light is certainly true because the passions get involved, the emotions get involved, the amygdala gets, gets involved, that reptilian part of your brain that just wants to lose it on people. I always think about, I talk about this guy a lot, and I apologize, but it's hard not to, G.K. Chesterton, the great G.K. Chesterton, Gilbert Keith Chesterton, who, of course, great British convert to the Catholic faith, great writer, great wit. He used to debate people all the time, non-Catholics and sometimes anti-Catholics, H.G. Wells, George Bernard Shaw, the great playwright. And he'd have these public debates with these guys. And when they would attack him on stage, he would just kind of laugh. He would just kind of laugh it off. He didn't take it personally. He didn't take himself too seriously. And in fact, he would ha even have a pint with these guys afterwards, these alleged enemies. They'd go out for, to the pub. And he's my kind of guy. I, I, I love this. And so he's not concerned about himself. He's not concerned about looking good. He was concerned about pursuing the truth, pursuing the truth. And it's so hard for people to do that. It's so hard for people to get over their pride and just admit that they were wrong. But if we're really looking at things rightly, we should be actually we should actually rejoice if we're proved wrong about something. We really should because it means that we're one step closer to the truth or maybe we've uncovered truth. And that should be something that we should be very, very excited about because Jesus said the truth will set you free. We want to be free. But especially when it comes to religion and people's worldviews, and this is one of the things that happens with, with converts from other faiths, when they, when they realize the truth of Catholicism or maybe the untruth of the, the religious positions that they previously held, it is like a death. It is like a death because the way that you saw the world, the, the meaning of life in many ways has died because it's been shown to be false. And th that's something that people kind of grieve and that's why people fight and that, that's why they argue and that's why they get emotional about things because it's kind of like the death throes. Like when they, when, when they, this could be wrong, I could be wrong here. So I, I know it, it, human beings are complicated. We're emotional creatures and, and, and everything kind of comes into play. It's, it's, it's hard sometimes to have a, you, you can't really have a purely intellectual argument about stuff because it's always the whole person that's involved. Anyways, that's all kind of a prelude to uh, what Ben Meir has to talk about when it comes to, as he puts it, how to win any argument. 
And again, again, maybe winning is a bit of an overpromise, but let's at least talk about how not to lose. He says you've got to think like a lawyer. You've got to think like the Tom Cruise character in A Few Good Men. You've got to think like a lawyer. And the way that you do that is you've got to improve your logical reasoning because there, there are a lot of bad arguments that are out there. And you've got to be able to spot them. You got to be able to spot them, but the first thing he he does in it, and we'll share this piece uh, um, in the show notes as well, so you don't have to worry about trying to look it up now. We'll put a link in the show notes on relevantradio.com. Ben Muir says, "Look, the, you got to get a couple principles straight first. The number one rule of conflict management: avoid people who constantly start conflicts." Okay, that's that's not bad. That's not, he didn't say that. Um, um, someone else said that. He's quoting someone else, but but. Uh, Avoid people who constantly start conflicts. I would agree with that. If it's simply for the sake of starting conflicts, and we all know folks like that. They just love to argue for the sake of arguing. And then they're not super necessarily interested in finding the truth or, or changing their ways. They just want to find somebody to fight with, to spar with. Okay, that's fine, but it doesn't have to be you. The second rule is just because you can win an argument doesn't necessarily mean you should. Well, why wouldn't you want to? Well, he says, that's actually good marriage advice. He heard that at a recent friend's wedding. He thought, yeah, I got to note this. <laughs> Just because you can win an argument doesn't mean you should. Okay, so you got to pick your spots. It's got to be worth it. If you're going to have this argument, make it, make it. It's got to be a big deal. Okay, not what color the drape should be or whatever. All right, so um, here's some skills that you can use in order to think rightly, defend the truth, and uphold your values. So here are eight logical fallacies. These are falsehood. These are outright lies that people try to use to manipulate you in discussions. And sometimes it's not even, you might not even think you're engaged in an argument. You're just having a discussion with somebody. It could be with your boss. It could be with a coworker. It could be with a friend. Um, it could be, you know, is Michael Jordan the greatest basketball player of all time? You know, like the great things about, about sports arguments is that Nobody ever really wins. I mean, you, you can make a, a good case for anything. But there are some logical fallacies that people try to use to maybe manipulate you. And so here's here's what they are and how you can counter them. All right. Oh, by the way, I think this is kind of cool that and I think it's a right thing to do that in Catholic seminaries, in Catholic seminaries, future priests of the church have to study philosophy for I think two years before they even start studying theology. And why is that the case? Some people think that's ridiculous. Um, during my years away from the Catholic Church and Protestantism, uh, I went to a Protestant seminary that was multi-denominational. There are Christians from all different backgrounds there. And they did offer some philosophy courses, philosophy for understanding theology. And some people fought against it. Some people were, were angry about this. They, oh, this is just worldly wisdom. Or, or, or this is just egghead stuff. I don't really need this. Let's get straight to theology. No, it's really important. And Catholic, the Catholic tradition has always recognized this. That the reason why seminarians have to study philosophy is, here's how I, what, the reason I think it is. If an argument isn't logically true, it can't be theologically true. If it's not logically true, it can't be theologically true. Why? Because faith and reason, they never contradict one another. Now, JP2, St. John Paul the Great, in his great encyclical Fides et Ratio, Faith and Reason, we need both wings to fly. We need both faith and reason to ascend to the truth of God. But it's true that faith goes beyond reason, but it never contradicts it. Never contradicts it. 
So I, I think that's always been a strength of the Catholic tradition. And some Protestants do embrace the, uh, philosophy as well, but but a lot don't. A lot don't. And and you see a lot of bad theological arguments in the in the Protestant world. I'm just saying. A lot of it's because they never really looked at the uh, philosophy behind it. Anyways, okay, all of that is kind of background to these eight fallacies, these logical fallacies. You probably heard about number one. So the first one is the ad hominem argument, the ad hominem argument. And, of course, that comes from the Latin term ominous, which means man. And the ad hominem argument is basically attacking the person and the character of the person that you're talking to instead of what they're actually saying, instead of their argument. Happens all the time. Happens all the time, especially on social media. So uh, Ben Muir gives an example of this. Here's an example of an ad hominem. Why would we listen to Steve's ideas about computers? Steve dropped out of college, for goodness sakes. Well, how would you counter that? You could say something like, well, Steve's educational background does not negate his knowledge or his passion for computers, we should judge his ideas on their own merit. Okay, so the ad hominem argument. He mentions this example of this guy named Steve who knows about computers, but he's dropped out of college. Steve is probably actually Steve Jobs in real life uh, because he did drop out of college. Uh, I think Bill Gates also did, uh, not to mention Zuckerberg. I think he dropped out of Harvard to start uh, Facebook, which is now, of course, meta. Um, so that's the ad hominem argument, attacking the person instead of the argument. So we've got to always be on guard for that because people want to do that. Um, the second one, you're listening to The Kale Clark Show, by the way, 888 if you want to weigh in on this. Maybe you've got some advice for, for dealing with this stuff. The second fallacy that happens when you're trying to argue about the truth of the Catholic faith, you're trying to, to whatever your position might be about anything, you, you might be an actual lawyer, and you maybe run up against this in the court of law. The famous straw man argument, the straw man. What does that mean? Misrepresenting or exaggerating your opponent's position to make it easier to attack. Okay, so here's an example of a straw man argument that Ben Muir gives. People who prefer digital books obviously hate real libraries and want to see them disappear. You know, they just want to destroy our cultural heritage because they love reading ebooks. All right. The answer to that would be simply this. That's a misrepresentation. Preferring one medium, electronic over paper, does not mean rejecting the other. We can value both ebooks and libraries. And I actually I actually do read in real life I actually do read ebooks and libraries. And I like them both for different reasons. Uh, paper books, printed books, and uh, and ebooks. So we see this we see this straw man argument where you kind of exaggerate what the person's saying. I'm not really saying that. Just because I prefer digital books doesn't mean I hate printed books. You see this this argument, the straw man argument, a lot in politics. People always exaggerate um, the arguments of the other side. You know, kind of try to demonize them and. Um, you know, I'm about to destroy America because I believe X or something. You know, people people on both sides of the aisle will say things like that. So that's that's the straw man argument. What about number three, the third bad argument that you need to watch out for? The logical fallacy is called the slippery slope argument. What does this mean? It means that 
if a small action, if a small thing is allowed to happen, it will inevitably lead to a series of much more significant negative consequences. But the person who makes the argument, they never usually provide any evidence for this. They just say, listen, if you allow this, then X is going to happen. It's going to be really, really bad. It's going to go from bad to worse. So here's an example. If we start allowing people to work from home for two days a week, before we know it, they're going to want to work from home all the time. Then they're going to even stop collaborating with their work colleagues. They're going to stop returning emails. They're going to die. It's going to be awful. And of course, this is a, this is a real argument that people make in light of the coronavirus pandemic and the whole work from home movement and the return to office movement. And how do you play that? And should we have a hybrid scenario? Maybe you're dealing with this right now. So that's an example of a slippery slope argument. If we allow people to work from home for two days a week, they're going to want more and more and more. And then they're going to just stop talking to us all together. <laughs> so how do you counter that? How do you counter the slippery slope? In this particular case, working from home, you might say, well, Allowing some flexibility in one's work location does not necessarily erode office culture. With proper communication tools and guidelines, teams can remain cohesive and productive regardless of where they work. Okay, so that, that's a potential response to that idea. Yeah, you can still do good work. Um, people can still collaborate, maybe in a different way. Obviously, in person, you always glean a lot more from people in person <laughs> I think over 90% of communication is nonverbal, you know, somebody, just their attitude, their, their posture, their body language says a lot, a lot of things. People can't help it. They can't help talking through their bodies. It's the theology of the body, I guess you could say. So, but, but that, that's an example of, of, of a slippery slope argument. And, and that's, that's another logical fallacy to watch out for. Well, what are the rest? I'm sure you're waiting with bated breath and I won't disappoint you, but you got to hang on till after the break. It's Kale Clark show on relevant radio. And we will be right back. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. Hey, welcome back. That, that song is actually called Pizza Guy. And when producer Jim played it, he didn't know that I was just about to talk about pizza. It's karma. It's the Holy Spirit. It's true. He didn't know. And what does pizza have to do with what I'm talking about? You're going to find out in just a second. 888 9149. Not trying to make you hungry here, although it is dinner time in many parts of the great United States and all around the world. 888 Kale Clark Show on Relevant Ready. We're talking about how to win every argument, or at least not lose, by being aware of fallacies that people will put out, logical fallacies. They'll try to trip you up, and they use them all the time when they're talking to you about the Catholic Church, about, about really anything. We talked about the ad hominem argument, attacking the opponent's character instead of what they're actually saying. The straw man argument where you exaggerate somebody's position to make it easy to attack. The slippery slope arguing that allowing one small thing will lead to a cascade of uh, even worse things. There's no, But there's no evidence for that, really. And then we're going to get to number four. Now, this list is provided courtesy of Ben Meir and his system's Sunday newsletter. Um, this is a great, really great article. So, so point number four, the logical fallacy that you got to watch out for when you're talking to other people is the bandwagon fallacy. Now this happens a lot in the sports world. People jump on the bandwagon and this is known as in Latin, the ad populum argument. Of course, the populum refers to the people. 
the bandwagon fallacy. Now, this is when somebody argues that something must be true because many people believe it, right? And so here's an example, and this is where the pizza comes in. Everyone I know thinks pineapple on pizza is a good thing. Now, this is obviously Ben Muir is clearly saying this tongue in cheek because that's far from the case that everyone thinks pineapple on pizza is a good thing. And if you want to identify yourself as one of those people, call in right now, 888-914-9149. Think about Hawaiian pizza. By the way, I do think it's a good thing. If, if in fact, is the pineapple thing, here, here's the deal. I, I once heard a, profess, a professional chef talking about this. Okay, so Patrick Alog has just chimed in. He thinks pineapple on pizza is delicious. This could be a whole show, calling in yay or nay on this one, but um, having a referendum on, on pineapple on pizza. But uh, I saw a professional chef talking about this. He actually made a lot of sense. He was like, look, if you get high-quality pineapple, if you get some nice cured ham, it gives you that balance of sweet and savory, right, which is like essential for cooking. It's a great idea. And I said, that actually makes a lot of sense. No wonder so many people love uh, Hawaiian pizza. At any rate, this is an example of the bandwagon fallacy. If everyone did like pineapple on pizza, they would say, everybody thinks this is good, so it must be good. So how do you counter that? How do you counter the bandwagon? If everybody's jumped on the bandwagon, you would say, look, just because a topping is popular does not determine its taste. You've got to consider individual preferences. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so... This happens a lot when it comes to um, all kinds of different things, politics, sports, theology as well. Now, Pope Benedict XVI, the late, great Pope Benedict XVI, he had a very famous saying, he had a lot of famous sayings, but he always said, the truth is not determined by majority vote. The truth is not determined by majority vote. So if every single person in America thinks that, for example, what happened in Ohio last week with issue one, if everyone, if 100% of people in Ohio had voted for issue one, totally unfettered access to abortion all the time throughout all stages of pregnancy, that wouldn't mean that it's right. Now, in terms of how to run a democracy, that might be a different question. But certainly we need to educate people more on the facts, on the truth. But the truth is not determined by majority vote. If everyone in Nazi Germany supports Hitler, that, that doesn't mean it's right back in the 1930s. So that is certainly the case. The truth is not determined by majority vote. So you got to be really, really careful about the bandwagon fallacy. Just because everybody likes it and thinks it's great doesn't mean that it actually is. Um, it's going to leave that there. Okay, so the next one is appeal to authority. This is the number five logical uh, fallacy. Number five, appeal to authority. This is known as the ad vericundium argument you're appealing to an authority so when you use an authority as evidence for an argument's conclusion especially when the authority is not relevant to the topic you're guilty of this appealing to authority marketing and advertising is all about this and, and our good friend rich pie Director of Marketing at Relevant Radio. Not, not, he, he always uses principles in his marketing, so he's not like this. But there are a lot of shady marketers. You know, Don Draper will tell you Lucky Stripe is good for you, right? So the classic example would be, say, using athletes to promote, I don't know, sodas. Okay, if Tiger Woods drinks Monster Soda, Monster Energy Drink, I, don't, I, don't think, he, I think he did at one point sponsor that brand. I could be wrong. But hey, if Tiger Woods, and he's the greatest golfer of all time, greatest ever to lace him up, if he thinks this is the best energy drink, then it probably is. 
well, this is the appeal to authority. This is a bad argument. So how do you counter that? Well, okay, Tiger Woods might be awesome at golf. He might be the greatest to ever lace him up. He might be able to tell you how to hit the two-iron stinger, but that doesn't mean he's an expert on nutritional drinks or whether monster energy is good for you. It might actually give you a heart attack. I don't know. I've never tried one. I've always been too scared. I'd be too amped up. I just stick to caffeine. Thank you very much. But uh, you need to consult somebody who's an actual expert in the field. So... That seems like, but people get fooled by this all the time. If the Kardashians are endorsing something, they want it. Um, that's the whole purpose of having celebrity endorsers is the ad vericundium fallacy, the appeal to authority. Okay, so that's number five. We got a couple more here. Number six, this is another, another fallacy when you're arguing with somebody. People will try to trip you up with this false dichotomy. That's when you present only two options when there actually might be more than two options. There might be many possibilities. So the example, okay, Ben Muir brings this up just as an example. Either you like cats or you're a dog person. Now, in real life, that's probably true. I don't know. I mean, I guess I know some people that, that have both. Yeah, that's true. I have a neighbor who has a dog and a cat. Here's the truth. Your cat doesn't even like you. You know, you come home from work, your cat's like running away, running under the table. Just get a dog. But anyways, it's po it is possible. Here's how you counter the argument. It is possible to like both or neither. I don't like cats or dogs. What are you, tr are you trying to tell me? I'm, I have to be either a cat person or a dog person. That's not true. Just because I like one doesn't mean I don't like the other. I might not like either one of them. So th this is the false dichotomy. Sometimes people present these two choices to you the carrot or the stick, if you will. And so you got to make a choice. No, there can be a third option. You got to think outside the box a little bit. Now, this this sometimes comes into play with, with respect to Catholicism because um, some people can't get their minds around the fact that we worship Jesus Christ as God, but yet we still have a devotion to Mary as mother of God. Now, we don't worship Mary. That's a huge misunderstanding of Catholicism. But some people act as if you, you got to get rid of Mary to have a total devotion to, 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 to Christ, to, to have a true worship of God, our Trinitarian God. And in a lot of, in a lot of Protestant circles, they never talk about Mary, except for maybe at Christmas time, the Christmas pageant, she's there. Okay. They play Mary, Did You Know, which is actually theologically a horrible song. And then they, they get her out of here, get her off stage. Okay. So, and that's, a, I, okay, I'm character, I'm, I'm, this is a caricature for sure, but that's probably a bad argument in itself, what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm misrepresenting a lot of views here, but I'm just trying to be brief here, but the problem is you don't see how these two things can, can both be held together. The truth is, according to the gospel, like in John's gospel, Mary says about Jesus, do whatever he tells you. She points people to Christ. Uh, Carol Wojtyla, uh, who became, of course, John Paul II, he had a real struggle with this. When he was in the underground seminary in Poland, uh, Nazi-occupied Poland, he's working, breaking rocks in the rock quarry, and, and he's studying at night in the underground seminary. He really, this is a big theological struggle for him at the time, was would devotion to Our Lady take away from worship of Jesus Christ and the centrality of Jesus Christ? And so he found, of course, the writings of St. Louis Mary de Montfort, True Devotion to Mary, and that kind of solved his problem. He kind of read that and worked it out. Or people say, well, it's either faith or works. And you Catholics, you know, you, you want to involve works and good deeds. Well, it's actually both. Um, this is what Romans is all about. Romans, the letter to the Romans, we're studying this right now on the Faith Explained. People misunderstand this big time, big time. 
Um, it's what touched off the Protestant Revolution, a misreading of Romans in many ways. So it's an important thing to get right. We're going to actually talk about that a little bit tomorrow, uh, as we did today on, on The Faith Explained. If you, if you missed it, check the podcast on the Relevant Radio app, relevantradio.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just want to put in a plug there. So the false dichotomy uh, really does uh, come into play sometimes in, in, in faith-based uh, discussions and trying to uncover the truth. All right, just two more. Uh, number seven is the red herring, and this is from Ben Meir from Systems Sunday, his newsletter all about logical fallacies that can prevent us from uncovering the truth. The red herring is when you introduce an irrelevant topic to divert attention from the subject under discussion. So, for example, somebody might be debating the merits of a particular smartphone. Should I buy the the, the Pixel 8 or should I get the new iPhone 15 Pro? All right, well, uh, somebody might say, well, okay, th- this 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 phone is really, really heavy. You're, you're talking about, you're supposedly talking about the camera, which is better, the Pixels camera and its uh, AI technology, or the iPhones made great strides in photography. Well, this phone's heavier than the other one. Well, that has nothing to do with the quality of the camera, okay? So the weight of the device is a totally separate issue. So this is the red herring. It's an irrelevant topic that has nothing to do with what you're actually talking about at the time. Back to cats for just a second. Um, Producer Jim just pointed out to me that Pope Benedict did love cats. Good enough for him, good enough for me. That is true. That's true. What was the name of his cat? Do you remember, Jim? There was like a children's book about his cat. It was like, I forget what it was called. Sadly, I I don't remember. Anyways, I'm sure Patrick Ehrlich will tell me in a second. He'll fact check it. But there's there's actually a really cool children's book about the Pope's cat that... um, that, I thought would be very interesting for children. But anyways, having said that, okay, so that that is uh that's number seven, the red herring. The last one is the last logical fallacy that you have to wa- watch out for. When people are talking to you, and, and it's not just um, in formal debates. You might might be having a formal debate with a non-Catholic about some element of of the Catholic faith, but in all likelihood, you might be talking about anything under the sun, your favorite sports team, to the political outview, to what stocks having a salary negotiation with your boss it's it's this is you're you're in negotiations all day long every day whether you want to know, realize this or not you know when your kids go to bed what the bedtime is do i have to finish my supper that's a negotiation so you need to be aware of these you know tricks that people pull to try to uh, get you off course all right so the last one is called false cause false cause and that's when you Claim a relationship between two things based on correlation, not causation. This happens all the time. Correlation does not equal causation necessarily. So I I, I don't know if I could think of a – I mean, I'm sure you guys can think of maybe a, a better example. Oh, the book is called Joseph and Chico. The cat's name was Chico. Uh, so here, here's a false cause uh, argument. The Pope's from ben, cat, actually. From, from Ben Muir. <laughs> Yeah, the, the Pope's Cat is the name of the book. Is that the name of the book? Okay. Chico, Chico is the name of the cat. Okay, got it. All right, so uh, here's a false cause example from Ben Muir. Ice cream sales and shark attacks both increase in the summertime. So obviously ice cream causes shark attacks. That, that, I mean, that's a pretty clear one to, to refute. Uh, you can counter that by saying, look, just because these events happen simultaneously does not mean that one causes the other. They're both related to the summer season, but they're not causally linked. Ice cream sales do not cause shark attacks. 
So that's a false cause. So we, we, we can see these and recognize these bad arguments, uh, hopefully uh, clearly, or maybe this will help us to at least be, be aware of them. So just in closing, he gives four steps to being stronger at argumentation, if you will. Number one, you've got to stay calm. You've got to stay calm and stay objective. As soon as you start getting emotional, you will start to make mistakes. You're going to, and you're also not going to be very persuasive to the other person either, because you're going to make an emotional, aggressive move. Some people are just aggressive by nature. They just have an aggressive personality and they love winning above anything. They, they want to win. They want to win. And you can, if, if somebody is a super aggressive personality and you try to get aggressive back at them, it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well because, again, their amygdala is going to get fired up. They're going to want to defeat you. They're going to see you as challenging them. That is not a good move. So know who you're dealing with, and you just got to dial back a little bit. You gotta, and if you, if you are an aggressive person by nature, then, then you got to be aware of that. So if, if you're not calm, you're going to make bad errors in reasoning. So breathing techniques can really come into play here, like box breathing or something like that. All right. So that's number one. Number two, try to engage in active listening. Um, most people are terrible listeners, terrible listeners. They, and they're just kind of waiting. They're playing mental chess. What am I going to say next? They're not really um, listening to what you're saying most of the time. And this is true, especially when you're talking about faith stuff. Um, what I, this is why I think it's a really good thing. It's a really good apostolate to give people articles and maybe books to read if they're so inclined. Most people don't read, but, uh, which is sad, but um, they might read a, sh- a short article that you send them. Because when, when you're reading and you're by yourself, your guard is down, your mental guard is down, because you know you, you're not going to have to respond to this right away. And you're maybe more open-minded a little bit. And so active listening is really, really important. And so before you try to counter somebody else's argument, you have to make sure that you understand what the person's actually saying. So the way to do that is to ask questions, ask follow-up questions, and, and then kind of draw out what they're actually saying. Um, so the goal would be to try to articulate the other person's argument back to them in a way that it was actually better than they did it in the first place. Um, I remember I had a friend. Sadly, he passed away. He, he was a, a, a brilliant guy, young guy. He was, a, he was a teacher, a great apologist. His name is Alex Phillip. May he rest in peace. Really, really great, gifted guy. Um, and he, he died of, um, he had kind of brain cancer and it kind of, you know, it was just so sad. Young dad. I, anyways, um, one of the things that he used to say all the time was that if you don't, if you make fun of someone else's religion, that probably means you don't understand it. Like you were saying, like, it's crazy that these people believe X, then that probably means you actually don't understand it very well. And, um, he was a very open-minded guy. He used to take his students to different, um, and, and this is part of what I did for him, is that he would bring his students, and they weren't Catholics, to, to, to a Catholic church. And I would talk to them about the Catholic faith, and then he would bring them to a synagogue, and they'd learn about Judaism, and then he'd go somewhere else to a Hindu temple or something. And uh, that's how they learned about world religions. Having said that, it doesn't mean that all religions are created equal by any stretch of the imagination. But it is. I think it's true what he said. If you're making fun of someone's position, like you can't possibly be a serious, you know, intellectually functioning human being and believe this. That probably means you don't understand it very well. So just something to keep in mind. Third thing you can do is research and prepare on your own as best you can. So um, whatever topic you're talking about, try to have as, as much knowledge about that as you can possibly get before you enter into the discussion because knowledge is power, clearly. 
And um, here, here's a little tip that he gives. This is really good. So in the age of AI, of chat GP2, and um, what's, the, what's the new one uh, um, from uh, X, from Elon Musk? It's called XAI. And the, I think the engine, the, 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 the brains behind the operation, he's calling it Grok, which is, I think comes from a book or something. So maybe you guys can uh, tell me what book that comes from. But uh, you're listening to The Kale Clark Show, 888 So this is something you can do. This, you can actually try this. Ask AI what the other side's argument might be so you can strategize your counters in advance. So that's kind of interesting. So this idea, okay. Um, you might say, what's the best argument for Hinduism? You know, and then pff, it'll spit something back to you. And then you can kind of look at it, read it and say, okay, how would I, how would I deal with this? How would I, how would I, um, approach this? So, and here's, here's a fun game that you can try. The last thing he says is, um, oh, one more thing. He said, structure your argument in such a way that your, your strongest points come first. When you're making an argument, trying to defend Catholicism, let's say, what's your strongest argument? Go with that. Number one, uh, facts are very persuasive. And they said, for fun, you could try this. We're coming into an election year, 2024. There's going to be lots of political debates. There already have been, uh, at least on the Republican side. Watch a political debate and have a drink, he says, every time you hear one of these logical fallacies. And he says, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding about the drinking part. But do try to spot all the fallacies. Do try to do that. So uh, I, I like that article. We'll put it in the show notes about the argumentation fallacies, the logical fallacies that people try to throw at you. And this will help you to maybe not win every argument, like Daniel Caffey in A Few Good Men, but at least try not to lose and uh, try not to get blown out by illegitimate means. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. And I'm going to let Jim decide. I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to let Jim decide what he wants to should I do this now? Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm going to let Jim decide what we're going to talk about next because there's two things I want to talk about and I can't decide which one I want to do. So 888 You'll find out what they are right after the break. I'll be back. Helping you keep your mind off traffic and on the more important things in life. It's Kale Clark on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back. That song is called The Remedy by Jason Mraz. And I've got the remedy for all that really ails you, especially when it comes to your nasal congestion. <laughs> this sounds like a bad commercial for something, but um, I'm not going to do that story because I, I let I, I let uh, producer Jim choose. I said, look, Jim, I, c- I can do the story on why your nose is always congested. It's actually fascinating. It, this is actually fascinating. It's for this time of year. Everybody's getting colds. I, I was so enthralled by this story. I couldn't wait to share it, but he said, no, I think you should choose something else. So the other choice was what the most misunderstood verse in the Bible is. So he went with that. I knew he would because it was a very pious thing to do. No, I'm kidding, Jim. No, it probably is the best choice. So I, that's why I relied on your, your, your intelligence and, your, and your, uh, your wherewithal on this rather than going with what I wanted. So, uh, but I, I will do that. I, I, I'm telling you, I'm going to share the story with you guys because you do need to hear it because we are about faith, facts, and fun on the Kale Clark show, but we'll get to that later. We'll get to that later. But I do want to share with you this, this, um, it's not, it's probably not the most famous verse in the Bible, but it is probably, it's probably the second most famous verse in the Bible. What do you, what do you think the most famous verse in the Bible is, Jim? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, there's no like wrong answer. Like I think (laughs) there might be a couple potential answers to this, but what, what do you think is, 
I'll give you a little hint here. You, you like watching football. You see this all the time. No, John 3.16. There you go, John 3.16. And we know that what, what, what that says. In John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So you see the John 3.16 banners that go up you know, when people kick a field goal. Don't don't even bring up the Buffalo Bills game. Speaking of field goals, don't even don't even call me about that. Don't talk to me about that. I'm still kind of in mourning about that. What happened last night with field goals and 12 men on the field? Oy vey, I'll tell you. I, the, the only saving grace I did win my fantasy football game against the great John Hanready, which is a hard thing to pull off. But having said that, uh, John three sixteen, the bedsheet banner verse. You see that a lot. Uh, but here's another one. And, and, and again, this, this plays right into it. I can do a little cross promotion here, Jim, with the Faith Explained show, as they say in the business, because uh, we are talking about St. Paul's letter to the Romans on the Faith Explained 1230 Central right here on Relevant Radio. Now, this is, this is probably, and you'll recognize this right away, folks. This is probably the second most famous verse in the Bible. Romans eight twenty eight, and we haven't got there yet, but but uh, join me for that show. Saint Paul says, "We know that in everything God works for good with those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose." Now that that is an absolutely beautiful verse, and, and that in Latin, this idea that God works for the good in everything, it's called omnia in bonum. I don't know if you've heard that expression, omnia in bonum. And uh, I heard a joke once about these two little kids, and, and their mom kept saying, Omnia in Bonham, Omnia in Bonham, in Bonham. And so one kid asked, a little girl asked her brother, what, what does mom mean by that? And the kid said, basically, everything's falling apart. It's just like everything is everything has hit the fan. So uh, what, what does that really mean, though? What does that verse really mean? Well, I read an interesting piece about this, actually, in, of all places, uh, Time magazine. But it, it's written by a great biblical scholar named Nicholas Thomas Wright, uh, better known as N.T. Wright, and he's very, very blessed that he has that name because the New Testament, the abbreviation, of course, is N.T., and he's N.T. Wright. And uh, there's been so many memes and jokes about that, I don't even want to go into it, but N.T. Wright uh, is a very famous scholar of the Bible. He is not a Catholic, but he has written tons of stuff. He's very highly regarded, especially when it comes to the writings and thought of St. Paul. So he said, like, most people have got this this verse wrong in terms of, of what it means. And, and he does note this, that, that if, if, if you were to ask most people, especially, you know, you could say priests, you could say pastors, you could say scholars of Scripture, Scott Hahn. I know Scott Hahn would say this because he, he has said this before, that if you were stranded on a desert island and you could only take one book of the Bible with you, which one would you take? Letter to the Romans from St. Paul. And uh, that it's 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 the greatest letter of all time ever written by anyone. That's why we're we're studying it on the Faith Explained program right now. But within that book, okay, let's let's narrow it down. Like, let's say you could only take one chapter from one book in the Bible. A lot of people would say Romans chapter eight because it's incredibly comforting, not to mention challenging. But Romans eight twenty eight. Here, here's here's one here's one translation. This is the King James translation, which obviously is way more popular in the Protestant world. But this is how most people read it, and this is actually a mistranslation. All things work together for good to them that love God. Okay, so the problem is, N.T. Wright says that a lot of people misunderstand this because 
they think it's kind of a spiritual version of every cloud has a silver lining, right? All things work together for good to them that love God. Or, you know, it's just this idea that everything's going to work out in the end. It's, it's okay. It's okay. Now, that is not the right translation of the verse. It's, it's actually not guaranteeing a happy outcome for all things. So here, here's what N.T. Wright says. When, when you look into the actual Greek, the underlying Greek, the original Greek text of the New Testament, the verb that Paul is using, it doesn't mean that everything works to, as in the King James uh, translation, everything works to good. For, sorry, all things work together for good to them that love God. It shouldn't be to them. It should actually be with them with them. Okay, so say, so what's the difference? That doesn't sound like it's much of a difference. Well, it is a major difference because, first of all, it's God who works all things together for the good. It's not like all things are doing it all on their own, under their own steam, under their own power. It's like, yeah, just hey, the world is just kind of going on, but it's all good, man. It's all good. Saul Goodman, right? I better call Saul. What he's actually talking about here is that God is the one who's doing it. And number two, He's talking about how God does it. How is it? How is it that God is working all things together for good uh, for those who love him? He does it with them. He does it in collaboration with them. God is actually calling us. He's recruiting us, if you will, to share in his mission in the world. Now, this is a different spin because, and this, this is what N.T. Wright says, it, it sends shivers down some theological spines because First of all, in the non-Catholic world, in certain strands of the Protestant world, this idea that you can kind of cooperate with God in, in any kind of saving work is just a non-starter. Just a non-starter. That, that you co, can, can, can co-redeem with God. And um, this is why, this is why a, a lot of non-Catholics get their back up when they hear about Mary as a, as a co-redemptrix. Not that the church has actually defined that as a Marian dogma or anything like that. But, whoa, you can't say that anybody's helping Jesus and what he's doing here. Well, hang on here. She did because she gave him flesh. She gave the word, the word flesh in the incarnation. She did participate. She helped him. Uh, we help him too. We help him too as the mystical body of Christ, the church, by by sharing the gospel. We are the hands and feet of Christ. So that that's part of what scares people, the idea that, that, that we can help them. And, and the other thing that scares people is that that means I have to do something here, that, that God works with those to, to bring about good. And so uh, how does he do that? Well, this is vocation. This is vocation. And, and ultimately, um, we're, we all have this vocation to be saints and help other people to become saints. Holiness and apostle, it really boils down to these two things, becoming a saint, helping other people to become saints bottom line. That's Christianity. That's Catholicism in a nutshell. So this really, again, goes back to the, to the very first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis. And that's why one of the things that we've noted on the Faith Explained uh, show when talking about Romans is that St. Paul constantly goes back to the book of Genesis. That's why we did a big series called the Genesis series on that program. It's one of the first things I did because if you don't get Genesis, it's, it's hard to get the rest of the Bible because so many other books in the Bible refer to the first book, the book of Genesis, kind of a template. And what happens in Genesis? Well, 
human beings partner with God in creation. We are kind of co-creators with God because God sort of says, hey, you've got to kind of like work with me here, guys. You got to help with, with creation. You got to work. You got to till the soil. You got to build some stuff here. Tower of Babel, maybe that wasn't such a good idea, but we're co-creators with God. He doesn't just sort of do it all for us, like a, like a parent who's cutting uh, their kids' meat and just kind of does everything for them, does their homework for them. No, he, he wants us to be his agents in the world, and, and that requires responsibility. And so this is uh, something else that's in Romans chapter 8. He says that, you know, the Spirit intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Because he says even the creation is groaning, waiting for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed to the world. And it's kind of groaning. Again, JP2, I mentioned him a couple times already. When people were hanging out with him in his private chapel, and you, you'll hear stories about this, when they, when they saw the Pope pray, Sometimes he was groaning. He was just like under the weight of the world. He's just no words. He's just he's just at his kneeler before the Blessed Sacrament. He's groaning. He's groaning almost with words that, that cannot be expressed. And so part of it is lamenting, and there are prayers of lament, Hebrew prayers of lament in the Psalms, because the world is not the way it ought to be right now in many respects. That's the tension. This is why we have to get in the battle. We have to get in the fight. We have to get into the fray. And, and, and help to bring the truth and the peace of the gospel to a world that needs it so desperately, especially in these times. So this is, this is how people misunderstand this verse, that, that they misunderstand our part in it. Um, and, and I think that's a, that's a really important uh, uh, sort of contribution there by the scholar N.T. Wright. So I'll, I'll put a link to that uh, up in the show notes as well. So... Fun show, fun show. Thanks for listening to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. We'll get into nasal congestion later. Don't don't worry. And by the way, you want to stay tuned because on Timory's show coming up, trending with Timory, she's got an interesting guest, Bear Wozniak. I've heard of Steve Wozniak. Speaking of Steve Jobs, he was the other Steve who helped found Apple Computer. Not this guy. I don't think they're related. I don't think he's also related to Bear Grylls uh, and his adventure shows. But Bear Wozniak is actually a world champion surfer and. He is also black belt in karate, apparently. So he's uh, he's got it going on, man. This is uh, this is the kind of guy uh, you want to hang out with for sure. He's going to talk about twelve rules of manliness. So uh, stay tuned for Timory. Uh, I guess this is her gentleman's hour, is it not, Jim? Is, is this her regular Tuesday thing? No, it's not. Okay, just hey, let's bring him in. Bring him in, anyways. Bear Wozniak. So stick around for that. And of course, Father Rock. He will be along later with the family rosary across America. This is Kale Clark. Jim Schaefer produced today. Patrick Alog and Miranda Sinisteros took your phone calls. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy. <laughs>